We made it through. We survived. We'll, we'll get it done. We lead the church. And the title is a little put off, but when you get to the chorus, you'll remember it. Encamped along the hills of light, we Christian soldiers rise. And press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory, oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph tried. By faith they, like a whirlwind's breath, swept on for every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory. That overcomes the world. On every hand a foe we find, drawn up in dread array. Let tents of ease be left behind, and onward to the fray. Salvation's helmet on each head, with truth all girt about. The earth shall tremble neath our dread and echo with our shout. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. To him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall be given. Before the angels he shall know, his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light, our hearts with love aflame. We'll vanquish all the hosts of night in Jesus' conquering name. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the Oh. 
seated. So, uh, plan on being in Hebrews chapter 11 today. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I'm finding actually quite challenging to, uh, to prepare for. Um, the difficulty that I'm finding is uh, where, where, where to draw some lines, where to set some parameters, uh, because it's uh, just one of those chapters uh, in scripture where the deeper you dig the more there is to find and a lot of passages are that way Hebrews 11 is particularly that way and um, so what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to actually look at uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 4 through 7 we're actually going to focus in on verse 4 um, and uh, I'm not going to make any guarantees at which verses we're going to look at next Sunday, although I know it will be after verse 4, um, so I can tell you that much. Um, and, I, and I'll go into more detail uh, next week about the breakdown of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not prepared to do that today, so I'm not going to do that today. Um, but faith is, uh, as we looked at here uh, previously, the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11, uh, when we're talking about faith, a biblical faith, we're talking about hope and trust in God that's demonstrated or proven out uh, through one's life. And so I, wouldn't, I definitely would not limit it by saying that it's proved out through our actions, although that is definitely part of it, but it's also proved out through our thoughts, through our emotions, through our hopes, through our ambitions, um, through the things we love, the things we hate. All of those things are dictated by what our faith or who our faith is in. And uh, a biblical faith, one that is placed in, in God uh, through Christ, um, then our life demonstrates that we so trust and hope in Him. So that the whole of our life, every detail of our life, reflects that conviction that we have that He is sovereign, that, that we are sinners, that He alone offers us forgiveness and grace and eternal life, 
and that we desire to possess that, that we desire to take hold of that. That is what our life proves out as believers. So then, uh, in, at the end of chapter 10 there, uh, we find that it, a quote from Habakkuk where it says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. So faith, faith is a way of living. It's not just a system of intellectual consideration. Um, it's actually a way of life when we talk about a Christian faith. The question arises uh, in my mind, and, and this verse from Habakkuk is actually echoed in a couple other passages in Scripture. Uh, it says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. So the question that goes through my mind as I'm studying Scripture here is, so is, uh, it, are, they, are they righteous because of their faith, or are they faithful because they're righteous? Well, we're going to actually answer that question in the context of Hebrews here today. And um, so those um, here at the end of chapter 10, there's this reference to those who are the righteous ones who live by faith. And then we're included in that. The reader is included in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And remember, that is uh, one, of the, one of the deep callings of Hebrews is for Christians to persevere in their faith. Persevere to the end. In fact, when we get all the way down to the end of chapter 11, there is this consideration of those who have persevered to the point of death. And um, in fact, that is... Uh, uh, that is what Hebrews is working towards because there's the, uh, and, and what we'll find here is that in Hebrews, it's not, Hebrews does not consider that this present life that we're now in is, is the pinnacle or the aim, but rather that as believers, we have our eyes on something eternal. This is temporary. Um, this life is temporary, these bodies are temporary, our struggles are temporary, our sufferings are temporary, but heaven is an eternal reward in the presence of God. And so that's what Hebrews has in mind as it takes us through this list of faithful believers and the things that they endured, the things that they struggled through, the things that they faced in their life, with their perspective being not on this side of heaven, but on uh, the other side of the grave, that when we, when we go into that full realization of our eternal reward. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 then says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So we are, our faith uh, is the, the assurance of, uh, of things hoped for, there's a reality that we are clinging to that while it is unseen, that we hold on to it because it is still reality. That is that God has promised to us salvation through Christ. He has promised to us that we become children of God through Christ, that we inherit an eternal reward through Christ. And so that is our reality that we are clinging to, that while it's unseen, it is still real. I use the example that, um, well, my, my family's not here with me today because they all have colds of, uh, at home and I'm last man standing. So, um, but I used the example a while back that, that, that the home we live in, I believe it's ex- it, it still exists even when I can't see it. And I'm banking a large part of the rest of my day on that reality, right? So we, we do this. We live like this. This is not an uh, unknown thing to us, living by faith. It's just a matter of really ultimately, what is our ultimate faith in? And so as believers, our ultimate faith is in the reality that God exists, that we are sinners that He has gifted us with salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that those who grab hold of that by faith have an eternal reward that is waiting for us. 
And that is the highest reality that we are clinging to tightly. And it is the people of old, it says, in verse 2, they were commended for that faith, living by faith. That is, that their lives demonstrated, the details of their lives demonstrated that they were holding on to this reality of heaven, the promises of God. You know, I, James, uh, James points out that uh, faith without works is dead. That is, that a faith that is not demonstrated through the particulars of our daily life is not faith at all. It perhaps is an intellectual consideration, but it doesn't rise to the level of conviction of reality. And so James and, and the Apostle Paul, while often they have been sort of uh, uh, kind of put at different ends of the spectrum of, of faith and practice, they actually are in total and complete agreement that a faith that does not have works is a dead faith, and that works that does not have faith are dead works. That they are in total agreement on this. And so it is all, it is living it, it, by faith. And that is what all of these folks in chapter 11 are commended for. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, I personally would, uh, oh, I wanted to show you a couple of study tools for your, that you may be interested in, um, that I have or am using, I do use on occasion. Um, I don't have a, uh, I do have a way that I prepare to preach. There is a, a system that I use. But I use a lot of different tools, and I don't do it the same every week. So there are some things I do the same every week. There are some things that I change week to week. Just I don't know. I I I this I don't know. Maybe for variety. Who knows? But um, but one of the tools that I have used and that you might find interesting is uh, it's called uh, here it is the Illuminated Scripture Journal. Okay. So what it is is uh, this is the New Testament. So it has every book in the New Testament in its own individual bound uh, way. And then as you open it up, it has just Scripture. So no, there's no cross-references. There's no commentary. uh, Nothing like that. Just the Scriptures. And then a blank page on the other side. And this has kind of a flowery little thing there that's just quoting one of the verses that's over here. But uh, I think the intent of this is more for kind of a prayer journal kind of thing. But I've actually used it as a study tool. As I go through here, I'll show you an example. This one's not full because I've used, like I said, I kind of change up how I, how I, what tools I use. But this is one, just one example of a passage that I just, Circle, underline, draw, write all over, put in notes and little commentaries and cross-references. and I'm basically building my own little commentary here is what I'm doing. I found that this didn't have enough space for me, so I don't actually use this tool very often anymore for my my personal study because I just, this is like microscopic print here, and I just, I couldn't fit everything on this page. So, but it is a, a really cool tool that you can use to keep your notes handy and in one place in a particular passage. And if you're one of those people that you, you just can't bear the thought of marking up your Bible, this gives you a way to do that. Make your notes, do your highlights, do your underlines, do your circling, uh, and, uh, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. I personally don't feel guilty about it. The other tool I use is, uh, this one is from uh, BibleGateway.com, and uh, it allows me just to, I go to a passage, uh, look at a whole chapter, and just hit print, and it prints out the whole chapter for me. And so this is one of the things that I'll, I'll use as well, print it off, and I do all my circle and note-taking and whatever I want to do to help me work my way through a passage and make sense of it and connect the dots of Scripture in one place there where I don't have it written all over many pages, which has happened to me before. 
So those are two tools that if you're interested in it, you're welcome to take a look at them. Um, and uh, I do encourage you, though, to find some system where you can actually keep all these notes that you take together so that you can kind of go back through in some sort of systematic way if you're looking for it again and not just have a box of stuff you have to sort through, but actually have it in some organized fashion where you can find your notes again. Um, I point that out because I said, I mentioned to you earlier that uh, Hebrews chapter 11 for me has been a little bit challenging figuring out where, where, do, I, where do you stop? Right? How deep do I go and where, where, what part of this passage are we going to just tackle from week to week? Uh, because the deeper you dig, there's just so much to uh, discover and uncover and so much more to understand that fills out our understanding of who God is, encourages us in our walk with Him, uh, and that is the purpose of it all. Um, I, I point this out, like, there, there's no, I get no, no, um, I, don't, I don't feel fluffed up at all, I guess, by how much I mark up a page. It has a purpose. And the purpose of it is to help me understand the Word of God. So I mark it up however helps me make sense of what God's Word is revealing for the purpose of me drawing deeper into my knowledge and understanding of who God is revealing Himself to be so that I may know Him more completely and bring this to you in hopefully an understandable and systematic way for you to be able to follow and be drawn more deeply into your relationship with Christ. And um, in Hebrews chapter 11 here, as we dig into Hebrews 11 verse 4, um, this first, these first few verses, I would break Hebrews up into, uh, boy, I forgot I was going to share that with you. So I would break Hebrews up into about eight subdivisions, Hebrews 11 that is, into eight, about eight subdivisions. Uh, there would be some who might break it up a little differently, but for our, the way we're going to work through it, there's... Uh, I break it up into eight subdivisions. Um, I'll explain more of that next week. Um, with, about, with six groups of faithful believers. Um, and and e- the interesting thing is, while Hebrews 11, at first pass, it just looks like a list of faithful believers. And the more you start scratching into it, the more you realize that there's actually some groupings within Hebrews 11 that bring out different aspects of living by faith. And um, in this first group, a group of three men that are brought to our attention, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, are men who are, this, this grouping is the thing that's pointed out to us about their faith is that it was, it was they were declared righteous by God because of their faith. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I would encourage you to somehow underline or circle verse 6 because that is a really key verse in all of Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we have here Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Men that are grouped together here in this, in this first part of Hebrews chapter 11 by having in common that they lived by faith. And that God recognized that. It says that He commended them as being righteous. Look at verse 4. Abel was commended as righteous. 
look in verse, in verse 5. Uh, Enoch was commended as having pleased God. Uh, verse 6 ties together that pleasing God and righteousness, uh, that that comes through by faith, having faith in him. And then we have down in verse 7 that, uh, that Noah became an heir of righteousness by faith. So men joined together here by their faith being attributed to them as righteousness. Um, there's a term here used that you'll find familiar, uh, even though I'm going to give you the Greek um, version of it, you'll actually recognize it. And uh, I think you'll find it interesting. The, the word here in ESV that's translated commended um, is actually um, martyreo. Does it sound familiar? Martyreo, yeah, there it is. It's to be a witness. Um, and specifically here, it is God giving testimony or witnessing to the faith of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Wow, how incredible. How'd you like to be on that list? Where it says God bears witness to their faith in him. That they're commended by God for their faith in him. Um, Obviously, we have a word that we use that sounds very similar to that, don't we? Martyr. Which we use to uh, concerning those who have been persecuted to the point of death for the sake of Christ. Um, but the word itself refers to be just bearing witness. In this case, bearing witness to Christ. Um, in, here in this particular context, it's God bearing witness to those who had faith in Him. And they were commended by God for living by faith and um, which means that they lived differently, they hoped differently, they spoke differently than the world of unbelievers around them. That's one thing that we see in common with each of these men here. Abel, um, Enoch, and Noah. They all lived differently than those who did not believe and trust in God. Which obviously bears the question to us as we evaluate our own life is if we profess to be followers of, of Christ, do we live differently? Do we think differently? Do we hope differently than the world around us? They all pleased God by living by faith. They were declared by God to be righteous because of their faith. Um, so then when we ask that question, or when I ask the question there, are, are they righteous because of their faith, or do they f- have faith because they're righteous, um, it becomes clear to hear that the context is that righteousness is, a, is applied or considered by God in relationship to faith in Him. So that God sees them as righteous, not because they did all the right things, jumped through all the right hoops, kept the law uh, to, to, to the little uh, dot and tittle, but rather that they had faith in him and trusted him, that they had a life characterized by a conviction that, that he is good, that he is present, that he is faithful. Now, one of the things that we're going to ask here is... Uh, uh, in regards to Abel, verse 4 is, why was Abel's uh, offering acceptable and Cain's was not? Um, We're not actually given a whole lot of information from Scripture about this event. But between Genesis and between Hebrews, we can make it out pretty good. Even though we're not given a whole lot of details. Did you know that uh, Jesus actually referred to Abel as righteous Abel? In, in the Gospels. Um, man, how'd you like to have a nickname from Jesus like that? Righteous Abel. Right? Faithful John. Right? Encouraging Bart. Like, how would you like to have a name from Jesus like that? 
Righteous Abel. We don't even know that much about Abel. There is not much at all in the Scriptures about Abel. The only thing we really know about Abel is that he's declared faithful by God. Righteous because of his faith. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at that. Why was Abel's sacrifice more acceptable than Cain's, as we're told it is? And the key is the context of Scripture. By faith, you're going to see that several times through here. In fact, on my little, my little study sheet here, by faith is actually circled every time it shows up. Right? That repetition. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah, being warned by God, he, he uh, constructed an ark. All right, so by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel's sacrifice was accepted to God. There's been some, some talk that maybe Abel's sacrifice is more acceptable because it was an animal sacrifice, not a grain offering as Cain's was. But what Hebrews makes clear for us, and really Genesis too, and we'll look, we'll look back at it, what becomes clear to us is that it wasn't whether it was an animal sacrifice or a grain sacrifice, it was that it was offered by faith. It was offered by a man who desired God, where Cain's was not. Abel's was offered by faith. Cain's was offered by some other motive, but it wasn't faith in God, a life characterized by faith in Him. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4. It's all the way back in the beginning of your Bible. Easy enough for us all to find. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And read the account here where it all happens. Now Adam knew... Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore, Cain, and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man that, uh, with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain uh, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, meaning that he accepted the offering of Abel and did not accept the offering of Cain. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Um, I fear that the ESV English translation here does not, does, does not give us quite the right perspective of what is being communicated. When it says, if you do well, we can get the impression that God is saying, Cain, if you do jump through all my hoops, then, then we're cool. And if you don't, then I'm angry at you. But that's not what's being relayed. In fact, the original language has to do with Cain doing rightly. Cain, if you do what's right, if you live rightly, will I not accept your offering? So we see the contrast there then between Hebrews and Genesis that the issue is not what was brought, it's how it was brought. That Abel, by faith, presents an offering to God. And Cain, in his sinfulness, brings an offering to God. That Cain, living for himself, not living by faith, brings an offering to God. And God calls Cain to repentance. God calls Cain to a life of living by faith. It's what the example that Abel set, if you do rightly, sounds a lot like Micah 6.8, right? What does the Lord require of you? 
do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Now the sign that God finds Abel righteous, get back in here, is that he accepts Abel's sacrifice. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. It says, uh, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So the proof that Abel brings it by faith is that God receives it and accepts it, and he's considered righteous as a result. Now one of the things that becomes clear through Scripture is that God is not seeking a people who just out of religious uh, religious guilt or something um, have a system of practices that they keep. Whatever it be. Whether it's receiving communion or being baptized or gathering for worship or reading your Bible or praying or serving. That, that it's not just a religion that you practice but that it is a way of expressing, showing, proving that your greatest hope and trust is in Him. So these are ways in which we prove out that we really are clinging to the reality of heaven and the salvation of God through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. uh, Here we go. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Law would be uh, it, it, apart from faith, the law would be the dead works um, that, uh, that don't lead to heaven. They lead to condemnation. Um, so by now the, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. How do they bear witness to it? We're reading about that in Hebrews chapter 11. They bear witness by faith. That's how they bear witness to God. Um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a, a point that Romans makes pretty clear. Makes, it, um, that makes this point right in chapter 1 on the outset. That there's none righteous. Not one. As it quotes, um, it quotes Psalm... Uh, I'll have to go back and look. I've got it in my notes, but I didn't write it down where I could tell you right offhand. It's in a couple places, actually. Psalm 53 is one of them. I think 14, maybe, um, where Romans chapter 1 quotes that. But there's no one righteous. In other words, in our current state, apart from faith in Christ, there's no one who comes to God and can declare that they're good, that they're in right standing with Him that they deserve to enter into the kingdom of heaven or be called a child of God. Not a single one of us. Humanity is utterly lacking even one person who can stand before God as righteous. But there is a means for coming before God as one righteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see that theme that comes up in Romans, that comes up in Hebrews? That it is a life lived by faith in God that leads to eternal life. Not right religious practice, although I will say right religious practice follows a genuine faith, but right religious practice or right doctrine does not get you entrance into the kingdom of God. It is right faith. Right doctrine... And right religious practice flow out of a right faith. So I'm not suggesting those are not important, but I am suggesting those will not get you into the kingdom apart from faith in Him. It is by faith in Christ that we are declared righteous. 
And what's interesting about Abel is it says that while he's commended by God as being one who is righteous because of his faith, and it goes on to say, and, though, um, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He still speaks. Now, this is not to say that in some strange way that Abel is like appearing in dreams and visions or that there's these apparitions of Abel, um, but rather that the testimony of Abel's faith in God continues to speak. The testimony of Abel's faith that he presented his offering to God out of, out of love, out of trust, out of hope in him, out of a desire for him. And it still speaks today. In fact, all of Hebrews 11 is full of such men and women who still speak through the testimony of the way they lived their life. All of Scripture, all the saints and believers in Scripture continue to speak through the testimony of living by faith that is preserved for us in the Scriptures. They continue to speak, and what do they say? They say that God is worthy. They say that God is faithful. They say that He is good. They say that He saves those who come to Him in humility with a repentant heart. They say that he gives a better and eternal reward than the one that this world offers. My question for all of us is, is when we're called home to heaven, will the testimony of the way we lived still be speaking? Will, will, will there be a testimony of a life lived by faith in Christ that continues to speak when we're gone. Um, now, uh, this isn't—I'm not trying to set up an, uh, some kind of conversation here about leaving a legacy because it's not ultimately us as Christians, as believers. It's not me who needs to be remembered. But does the evidence and testimony of my life continue to point people to Christ even after I'm gone? That's what I'm talking about. That we leave a legacy of faith that points people to Christ. Not that points people to our trophies and medals. But that points people to a Savior who can still save them even when our physical voice has been silenced this side of heaven. So when you're called home to heaven, will the testimony of your faith in Christ still be speaking? Um, I guess one question to ask here is, um, is there even a life of faith to be considered? And if the answer for you is no, then my invitation to you today is to surrender your life to Christ, to confess your sin to Him and proclaim Him as Lord and ruler over your life. If you have submitted to Christ in your life, your faith is in Him, my question is, how are you living by faith? Now, I'm not assuming that you're not. I'm just posing the question because I think this is a worthy question for each one of us to consider really daily. How are you living by faith? Do the details of your life prove out that you trust and hope in Christ above all else? I have a few suggestions for, for us all to uh, either begin to or to help with living a life of faith in Him each day. So there's four things I want to leave you with today that, uh, that I think like Abel, like Enoch, like Noah, that we can become people who are characterized, especially at the end of our days, as people who lived by faith in Christ. And I hope that that is the greatest thing that's remembered about each one of us. Um, I am 
absolutely 100% totally fine if you completely forget my name when I get called to heaven. I don't need to be remembered for me. But I hope that the legacy I leave of faith points you to Christ, even when I'm gone. Undoubtedly, there have been many uh, in the heritage of, of this church body throughout the years who have had such a desire and opinion. That they have wanted you and me to be pointed to Christ by the things that they did while they were here. So here are some things that I want to leave you with as a way of helping us to live each day in such a way. The first one is to acknowledge, thank, and worship Him. We can do this every single day. To acknowledge God, to thank Him, and to worship Him. Um, Worship Him for who He is. Thank Him for what He's done. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, um, this is the very thing that... um, that unbelievers were, were accused of here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, believers, if we claim to be followers of Christ, then we need to not be among those who do not honor Him or give thanks to Him. We need to be among a different population of people who daily honor Him and give thanks to Him. So the first thing I think we can do to help us live a life characterized by faith in God, genuine faith in Him, is to acknowledge Him, thank Him, and worship Him every day. The second thing is this. Rely on Him for help. There's a lot of things that we rely on ultimately for help or that we can be tempted to rely on for help. Now there's a lot of good stuff uh, that, that God has, I believe, blessed us with to be tools Um, for accomplishing various things and answering our prayers. But our ultimate hope needs to be on Him. So unless the Lord Lord watches uh, uh, over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Right? It doesn't say that there's no use having watchmen on the wall. It says that unless the Lord is watching over it, then they do it in vain. So we want to live in such a way where whether it's, you know, medicine is a great example. God has given that as a useful instrument in our lives. It is not to be our ultimate hope. Right? There are, there are several things like that that we can place ultimate hope in, but our hope needs to be squarely placed on Him, that we seek Him for help. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches His disciples to pray, some of the, the, the help that is asked is, Lord, for, forgive us, provide for us, and lead us. So whether it's, uh, you know, and that's through all circumstances in life. There's stuff that happens. You get a flat tire. Your plans for the day that you've been, you know, you've had this, you've had your schedule. If you're one of those day planner type of people, which I, I'm not. Uh, but if you're a day planner kind of person, you have next Thursday already penciled out. And then something happens Thursday morning that totally wrecks Thursday's day planner. How do you respond to that? Do you respond by living in faith and relying on Him and asking Him for help? Or does it all come unraveled? The flat tire on your way to somewhere important. You know, you, you had a doctor's appointment that you had to schedule like three months ago. And on your way there, you get a flat tire and now you're going to be late and you know they're just going to ax you from that appointment, right? How do you handle that? By faith? Like, God is not surprised when we get flat tires. Did you know that? 
God is not surprised when next Thursday gets, get, the day planner gets wrecked by something that happens Thursday morning. This is not news flash to God. It all is within the realm of His sovereign plan working out. Do we believe that? Does our response prove that out? Let's go to Him for help on all of these details in life, the little stuff and the big stuff. John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says to, to His disciples, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He is there abiding in Him, relying on Him, trusting in Him, and then asking for your needs, whatever you need, uh, from Him. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. To lean on Him, His sovereign presence, His sovereign wisdom, His sovereign power in the daily events of our life. Third thing is this, do what He says. Do you know this is one of the most foundational ways that we live out live by faith is by just doing what he says. Um, we see this in our homes. Like if you've had, if you've had uh, uh, children, um, then one of the things that you know is when they trust you, they do what, they do what you say. Like if they really believe what you're saying, then, then they'll follow that with a, an action, right? Um, when they're skeptical about what you're saying, if they don't really, you know, like... Uh, Adam and Eve, they go to the tree and, and Satan says, did God really say, I think God's holding back on you. He's holding some good stuff back from you. You know, and we're all prone to that. And we've gone through that. Like, as, we still do that as adults. Especially as kids we did. We're like, I know mom and dad said that, but do they really know what they're talking about? Are they just trying to keep me from something good? You know, moms and dads like to do that kind of stuff, right? We just like keep our kids from the good stuff. Of course not. We love our kids. So there's boundaries and parameters we set for their benefits. So God actually does a similar thing with us in a very holy and righteous and perfect way with a sovereign wisdom. And so when God sets parameters or boundaries or, or, or leads us in particular ways, then doing what he says is a foundational way of just showing that we really have our faith in him. John chapter 14, verse 15 and se- through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He helps us in this. So do what he says. And the fourth thing, and the, you know, so daily, you know, you're going to be, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, like, when you start to, start to walk into outside of what God is asking you to do or telling you to do, the Holy Spirit reminds you. Whether you respond to that, that's up to you. But the Holy Spirit does remind us. In fact, the Holy Spirit, one of the, one of the big jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin and to remind us of what God has said. We can choose to ignore that. But as people who want to be characterized by a life of faith, we're not going to. Verse, uh, the fourth thing is keep God's reward in mind. Um, we, I told you to key in there on, on verse 6, and we'll talk more about it in the future here, but it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now our ultimate reward is Himself. There's a whole lot of other good reward that comes along with that. One of the things Hebrews talks about is a rest. A rest from the things that weary our soul this side of heaven. The struggles and the sufferings this side of heaven that come as a result of sin in this world. But keep in mind that God's reward. It's what all the people in Hebrews chapter 11 are characterized by. That they kept in mind heavenly reward not just an earthly destination but a heavenly destination that they were going to so acknowledge thank and worship him rely on him do what he says which also means knowing what he says that's kind of implied there and keep his reward in mind let's pray father we thank you that you have given us your word to illuminate our path the path that you want us to walk in, that we would be a people characterized by 
trusting and hoping in you, that our life would show it, prove it out. Um, Lord, that we, we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And that we would be doers of it, not because we're guilty, but because we love you and trust you. Um, Lord, we ask that you would just help us along in that journey together. We thank you for the many men and women who have gone before us, who have laid uh, a legacy of trusting in you. Lives characterized by faith in you. Um, and of which we are beneficiaries. And we receive much encouragement and help from that. Even though they are gone, that they, the testimony of their lives still speak to your faithfulness. And Lord, we just ask that we would live in such a way that when, those, when others come after us, that the testimony of our lives will continue to point them to you. Lord, thank you for all of these uh, men and women listed in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and the many ways that they have proved out just how faithful and good you are. And um, Lord, help us to be live convinced of that. Lord, we worship you and honor you and thank you for all the good things that you have blessed us with, not least of which is your Son, whom you give, gave for us, that we would be inherited, inheritors of eternal life and righteousness through him. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins through Christ. Thank you for giving us the hope of heaven through him. Thank you for making us a child of God through him. Thank you for your provision and your protection. Thank you for your daily help. Thank you for the hope that you have placed within us. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. going to share today in communion, which is a time where we specifically, pointedly, remember the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who was given for us to be a sacrifice for our sins. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 53, written many, many years before the birth of Christ, but about him. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When my soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall, uh, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
We are the transgressors for which Christ has interceded for. And we come to our time of communion in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. In the receiving of the elements of communion, we're reminded of his blood, of his body, of his presence here among us, that he is living, that he was not bound by the grave, but that he rose from the grave, who now is our living Savior, who sits at the right hand of God as our heavenly advocate, and who has offered salvation to everyone who calls on him from the heart. And so we gather today to remember his sacrifice. Um, there are three, three stations, two in the back and one up, in, up front here, and, and I'm going to pray for us, and then I would ask you to make your way to one of those stations and take the elements back to your seat, and then we'll receive them all together. And this is for anyone who trusts Christ for salvation and eternal life, for forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you once again for this sacrifice on our behalf. We gather in his name to recognize what your son gave for us, to redeem us, to make us children of God, to wipe us clean from our sin, to remove our our guilt, who took it upon himself. And we so remember him and give thanks for his sacrifice. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
still speaks. Faith of Abel still speaks. Um, And it speaks to us of persevering in our hope and trust in him because he's faithful, because he's good, because he's just. Um, So let our faith be well placed in him. Let every offering that we bring, whether it be a life well lived or service to others or um, uh, our, our tithes and offerings or our singing or our praying, let it be done in the way that Abel did it. By faith, clinging and hoping in him above all else. Lord bless and keep you as you make it your aim to, uh, to live up to that standard of faith and to just walk more deeply in that day by day. Lord bless you.